unitedinstitute.org podcast where we feature successful professionals and scholars. Well, we'd like to welcome you to the unitedinstitute.org world podcast. Thank you so much to our special guest today, John Bader from the Fulbright Association, Washington, D.C. National Office. John, it's great to have you join me and Sadir Farjo, our co-host today, on this very special edition of the podcast. Welcome. I'm delighted to be with you, Jeffrey. And friends, I'm, I'm so glad to be part of this conversation and excited to uh, enjoy this conversation with you. Yes, and we're so honored uh, to have someone with such an esteemed pedigree, shall we say, uh, in the Fulbright tradition, it's so unique for us to be able to have the opportunity to connect with someone whose uh, story with Fulbright goes back so, so, so long and with not just one generation even within the family, but um, you were trained actually in college originally at Yale and then you went on to earn your master's and PhD at University of Wisconsin at Madison, as I understand it. Uh, and then John, I believe what you did is you uh, m moved over into an academic position there at, uh, at our wonderful uh, location there, right there in Baltimore at Johns Hopkins University, where you eventually became assistant dean for academic affairs for the undergraduate program and then eventually moved into the International Baccalaureate uh, and International Exchange uh, uh, area uh, with many, many different uh, ventures into different sectors of uh, service, academic, as well as government and uh, political uh, here and there, as well as the news uh, and the news organization, ABC News, at one point you had a stint there. And then, of course, you circled back to Fulbright that was last year uh, after you had served on the board a number of years. And that's, uh, that's right. It's, uh, the Fulbright has been a kind of connecting tissue for, for me throughout my career. And as you mentioned, extending through my family's history dating back to the early 1950s. Uh, my father was in the first class of Fulbrighters to Germany and while he was there, uh, his Pomona College classmate, Greta, joined him. And they got married in Munich and had a large family that included the guy you're talking to. Uh, uh, my dad worked for Bill Fulbright and also was assistant secretary for, uh, of state for education and cultural affairs. And uh, so I, it's, it's, it's a very important family mission to think about international exchange, to inter international education, that has run through my career throughout, particularly at Hopkins, IB, and some other positions. Uh, it's it's a delight to, to be part of that and um, and an important mission for me. That's excellent, excellent, John. So, what are you what are you currently being what are you currently passionate about at at the Fulbright at the Fulbright uh, Association? Well, Jeffrey, it's, uh, it's a timely conversation that uh, we're having uh, this afternoon because the Fulbright program is under a great deal of pressure and strain right now. Uh, the, um, the administration has proposed cuts to international exchanges that 
that if they go through would cut the Fulbright program in half. And I'm, I'm not exaggerating. A, a proposed 47% cut is on the table right now. And uh, I'm very passionate about uh, fighting back against this uh, particular proposal and advocating for the program on Capitol Hill where final decisions will be made. So we are, in fact, launching the Stand for Fulbright program uh, campaign uh, even as we speak. Uh, and we're excited about that. It's a, it's a great passion of mine uh, to advocate for this program on the Hill uh, where we have strong, deep, bipartisan support. But uh, we need to activate uh, those supporters on the Hill on both sides of the aisle Tell them what's going on, uh, explain to them the impact of the Fulbright program worldwide, and, um, and do what we can to both uh, uh, resist this particular cut and to restore funding to the program. So uh, a great passion of mine right now is, uh, is this advocacy effort and campaign. And it's a very serious threat when you look at what has happened in the past. There is a an actual example of a, of a situation that occurred with Fulbright Hayes a number of years ago where I, I understand there was a gap in funding for an entire year where there was no renewal of the funding for the Fulbright Hayes piece of Fulbright which is the Department of Education funded piece whereas most of the other Fulbright funds uh, passed through the uh, US Department of State but um, if I'm not mistaken uh, obviously that has to be one of the uh, most um, most concerning things that you're dealing with right now and, and, and the highest priorities. In the course and the span of your very storied career, John, can you help us understand what might have been one of your most uh, challenging uh, professional or academic experiences in the, in the span of your career uh, that you've encountered and, and what did you learn from, from that experience? That's a very interesting question, Jeffrey. I, I've encountered lots of challenges through my career. One that comes to mind quickly is uh, a challenge faced uh, by Johns Hopkins University a number of years ago when the dean of our school came to me and uh, asked if I would help them to handle a program that was in financial freefall a very important program that involved many different components, uh, particularly part-time graduate education. And uh, we needed to reorganize that division, uh, and I learned a couple of things. One is that solving institutional problems is easy, is, excuse me, is not easy and often painful. Uh, it, uh, it can mean choices that are very difficult for people, um, particularly those who uh, may no longer have a, a position in the organization, that can be very difficult. Second, I found that organizations need focus. They, they can't do everything. They have to uh, stay focused on a particular set of missions that people know that they're doing and that they can do well at. And finally, that it takes a lot of input and a lot of imagination to solve problems uh, at an institutional level. You have to consult a lot of people. You have to think 
differently and you have to get their reaction. What would happen if I did this? And uh, those are lessons that have, um, that I've taken with me uh, on other jobs uh, because they're, they were so important to me at that point. So what, what would you consider, this is Sidir, by the way, uh, asking, uh, what, would you be cons- what would you consider a moment of enlightenment and a how moment uh, that you had throughout your career, like a moment that you thought, you know what, this is what, this is what's going to lead me to this, you know, to, to kind of your, to where you started off and you, you seem like you went from one success story to another. What was a moment that kind of led you to that path? Well, I'd like to go back to the beginning, which was the Fulbright scholarship that I had to India many years ago, just after I graduated from college. And I think the aha moment there was to realize how profoundly ignorant I was. I I really knew nothing of India, even though I had made some efforts to study the country and its history before I left for, for my grant, but as I traveled, as I talked to people, as I dealt with issues related to rural development and other areas of interest to me, I I became overwhelmed at how little I knew and how much there was to learn. And uh, it was was exciting and humbling at the same time, exciting because I was in a place that I could learn and I could be taught. It was an intensely educational experience, um, but it was also kind of scary uh, in that I was disoriented, I wasn't sure what I was doing, and uh, and I and I guess my my aha was to realize that in order to learn fully, you have to be willing and vulnerable to ignorance. This is a uh, not a new insight. Uh, Socrates uh, told us, taught us this centuries, millennia ago. But for me, it became intensely personal and uh, also suggested to me that there are some environments that are even more educational than others, and we should all try to be in those spaces where we are both made to feel vulnerable and then made secure once more. And I would think that was one of the reasons uh, you're so passionate about the Fulbright program, obviously, because you you had that moment, you know, that enlightenment moment of almost like what you didn't know that you didn't know. (laughs) That's right. And I think that international exchanges, international travel, all of these pose a challenge to us because they, they flip our worlds upside down. They, they put us in front of people who, dress differently and eat differently and think differently and uh, act differently. It's all, it's all very uh, odd uh, on one level, but it's also exciting uh, and, and worthwhile to, uh, to move forward. So you're quite right. That's, uh, that's at the heart of our work here at the Fulbright Association, uh, where we, we are powered by a volunteer community across the country, folks who get nothing uh, financially from all of the hard work they do to uh, magnify the impact of the program in communities all over the United States and the world and advocate for a program that they won't necessarily benefit from, again, themselves, but 
want to hand to the next generation of adventurers and learners. Excellent, excellent. I'm getting flagged that it's time for a quick break. So if you don't mind, we're just going to take a quick, quick uh, uh, sponsor break and we'll be right back. Do you love your lawyer? Jeffrey G. Knott & Associates PLLC uses the law to help businesses and individuals throughout the world. Visit jnotlaw.com or call 248-220-1501. Unitedinstitute.org is pleased to offer a series of self-paced online courses and simulations that help professionals become effective, productive, and creative. Visit unitedinstitute.org. And we'd like to welcome you back to the UnitedInstitute.org World Podcast. Our special guest today is John Bader, the Executive Director of the Fulbright Association out of Washington, D.C., which is, by the way, the world's largest community of Fulbright alumni. John, it is great to have you joining us today. I'm glad to be part of this conversation. Thanks so much. We wanted to pick up with a very interesting uh, question, and that has to do with what you might perceive as one or more of your more significant successes in life and in the span of your career. Would you comment on, on that, John? Well, it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting question because I'm going to flip it upside down, uh, which is that my, I think my greatest success is about failure, meaning while I was at Johns Hopkins University, I was dean for academic advising, and I spent a lot of time dealing with students, extraordinary students from all over the world, who were struggling, who were failing, who were having difficulty emotionally, academically, socially, they were just not experiencing the kind of college life or the learning experience that they had imagined that their families were paying for, and uh, it was it was a mess. So I think my greatest success was in counseling those students, helping them, uh, supporting them, offering them a new way of thinking, uh, helping them on a one-on-one -on -one basis, and also recreating an environment at Johns Hopkins that was more friendly, more supportive, uh, more attuned to student needs, such as tutoring and the like. Um, those were very happy days for me professionally because uh, they were so satisfying emotionally to, in effect, be successful coping with failure. And, and all of those lessons are poured into uh, my book, uh, which is now in its second edition. It's called Dean's List, 10 Strategies for College Success. And Dean's List is um, uh, also benefits from the input from, from many uh, seasoned and uh, serious academic uh, support folks from around the Ivy League, from around uh, the country, all pouring their best advice uh, that we can to, to help students succeed. So, so uh, I would say your question is ironic because my greatest success is about failure. That you know, that's a very interesting perspective. I like it. 
Do you? Uh, I'm obviously this. I'm asking. Uh, this is this. This is a very hard question. Uh, could you? Uh, I guess uh, recommend uh, like a book to our listeners that that kind of that you would think that they would be able to benefit m most from. In addition to yours, of course. And of course. <laughs> it's interesting. I have found some of the most important books in my life have been actually. Um, travel guides uh, because I think uh, it's so important that when you when you go overseas and when you try someplace new that you feel uh, confident enough to 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 embrace new adventures and and a lot of guidebooks that I have used uh, and, and you know they vary a great deal Lonely Planet has a, an amazing series of course for photos and others uh, they they give you they give you strength. I, I I know this is probably not a traditional answer to your question. I've no, yeah, we have never heard this answer. This is very interesting. <laughs> so uh, you know, I found, for example, when I was in India, the Lonely Planet guide to India was was in effect my bible. I mean, it really helped me to figure out how to do things, and and then gave me the resources to experience new adventures that. Um, I would not have otherwise done. Um, I was grateful to all the writers of, of Lonely Planet. Um, well, I can't remember the title of it. A, when I was in Rome many years ago, uh, I, I used a, a guidebook that helped me to reimagine what the forum of Rome was like uh, thousands of years ago. And that sort of was such an inspiration because the forum itself, while extraordinary as a place, uh, is also is also a place of imagination. You you need to kind of think through what was happening two thousand years ago, and a and a great guide can do that for you. So I think um, uh, it's oh, I I think that these are uh, guide guidebooks are an underappreciated treasure for for those of us who who love to travel. And I would like to also ask, John, if you could comment on what type of online or perhaps electronic resources you, you might uh, also recommend, uh, perhaps in addition to, of course, Fulbright.org, where everyone can explore all things Fulbright. And join the, exactly. the illustrious Fulbright Association. You're kind to mention that. Of course, Fulbright.org is a great place to go for learning more about the Fulbright alumni uh, organization, uh, all the kinds of things that are going on in our community, especially if folks are interested in our Stand for Fulbright campaign. A lot of information about that. I, um, uh, as to other online resources, I'm a traditional guy. I, uh, I grew up when uh, newspapers were actually in print. Uh, and so I tend to find myself on the websites of national newspapers, uh, especially the Washington Post, which is my hometown paper. And um, I, I found those to be wonderful for, in this respect. Everyone can comment on news stories in a way that was never available except through the occasional letter to the editor. And even those were 
uh, at the scrutiny and choice of the very editors you were trying to give feedback to. And, and now this is much more democratic. You can go to a, a story online reported by the Washington Post and put in your own comments and your own reactions and so on. And uh, it, it's a much more interactive democratic uh, uh, approach to, uh, to, to news uh, discussions. And I, I always have uh, good fun with that. Awesome, awesome. John, what is a good way for people to get a hold of you and with the Fulbright Association, uh, if they want to learn more about, also learning more about the Stand with the Fulbright uh, campaign? Well, as you mentioned, Fulbright.org is, uh, is, our, um, is our website and uh, excited to have people visit it. Uh, info at Fulbright.org is the email address for the organization and happy to hear feedback from people on what they've learned and uh, more about our Stand for Fulbright uh, campaign. Happy to, uh, to respond to emails as they come in to, to that. So um, uh, excited about that. Also uh, at johnbader.net um, is information about, uh, about my book, um, Dean's List, which is also available uh, very easily on amazon.com. It's a book designed for uh, students who have just graduated from high school and are moving into college and thinking about the academic environment and how they can thrive within it, such as thinking about uh, why are they there? Uh, a lot of students go to college somewhat unthinkingly, either based on expectations of their friends or their family or, uh, or just that's what everybody does without giving one minute of thought as to what they're supposed to do when they get there and setting some goals, uh, just thinking about what you want to learn is, uh, is a, an important strategy to success. And, and the book looks at many other things, um, including study abroad and um, more information about the academic environment itself. And of course, the kind of conversations that I suggested about failure and how, what is going on, how to identify those problems, and how to move on from them. So that's Dean's List, 10 Strategies for College Success. Tremendous, thank you so much, John. This has been such an enlightening conversation. We've had with us the esteemed National Executive Director of the Fulbright Association, John Bader. What an honor to have you with us today, John, on the UnitedInstitute.org World Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's been a great uh, conversation, and thank you so much to all of you for, for listening in. I appreciate it and look forward to hearing from folks in the days ahead. Excellent. Thank you. Have a great day.